0: Philanthropy. I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School and I'm joined today by Dr. Matt Elman. Matt is the co-founder and principal of the Numad Group, a national consulting firm working on philanthropy and fundraising. And he also is a board member of the Rural Philanthropy Institute. And Matt, great to have you with us on the Fundraising Schools podcast. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for the invitation. So first, as we explore this topic, what is the Rural Philanthropy Institute? The Rural Philanthropy Institute is a nonprofit focused on learning
1: about the third sector, specifically in rural America. And we focus on gathering data and disseminating that data and bringing people together in conversations and in gatherings to talk about it.
0: And so we could discuss this issue in great depth. And in fact, the Institute does that with monthly gatherings and conversations that you have and different events that you host. But Matt, could you summarize for us, what are some of the key themes in rural philanthropy? I know you yourself, you've done some work in New York City and in some of the larger cities in California, and yet you're situated there in South Dakota doing this work for the Rural Philanthropy Institute. What are some of the key themes that are particular to rural philanthropy?
1: So you're right. The, the work that we do with the New Mag Group takes us all over the country, but it's the interest and what we saw when working and living on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation that really um, helped spur this. What was an initiative and some programming, and now the creation of the Rural Philanthropy Institute. What we what we understand is rural America is changing, and we see that with population changing from 2010 census, to 2020 census, uh, two thirds of the rural counties in the United States saw a decline in population. There is an increase in population in places that have more, um, may, are, are more inviting for vacation or retirement um, or around, uh, urban centers, these places are finding we're increasing population, but in a bulk of rural can- counties in the United States, there's this decline. And this has happened uh, and then from 1910 all the way, or 1900 to 2010 in, act- in, in reality. And what we're seeing though, if we look at, we have three sectors, the for-profit sector, the nonprofit sector, and the government sector, obviously, those are all changing. And the nonprofit sector has a significant void in the data that's available about what's happening. So we wanna spend time focused on what that looks like so that we can better uh, make decisions both as philanthropists and policymakers, um, around sp- specifically around the nonprofits in these rural places What we continue to see and hear from the organization's leadership themselves is they're wearing multiple hats. So in some rural places, the a nonprofit that may be focused on economic development is now picking up and running the local newspaper because the for-profit newspaper is no longer viable. And more importantly, there's no Writer or editor for that paper, that weekly paper, and so a nonprofit takes that on, and and over and what we see is the nonprofits are being uh, relied upon to wear multiple hats to meet these needs in society. Meanwhile, subjected to similar evaluation and um, the yeah, similar evaluation methods that are found in urban, um, for urban nonprofits. So we're evaluating these, non- these nonprofits in rural places in a similar way that we're evaluating nonprofits in an urban place. But meanwhile, there are many more things going on, many more hats that nonprofits are, uh, are wearing in the urban setting.
0: Matt, I know you take great pride in evidence-based research um, and whether you have research or just even your own observations uh, from your work, how much more challenging is it for these nonprofits in these two thirds of rural counties where population is declining? Because on one hand, if population is declining, maybe there's less need for service, but however, the need for service could be more acute, could be more severe, and there could be less local support, uh, fewer local donors, fewer local volunteers. Can you describe for us that, that tension and that unique challenge that nonprofits and rural communities are facing in this environment? I think that's a great question. And I think
1: one of the reasons
0: for the Institute is
1: that we really don't have that data. So we just pulled a, da- a, a, a rural county in a, in a high plains state. Uh, just it, 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 And there are five bowling leagues in this county. And they file a... Uh, a postcard to the IRS, under $50,000 annually is their income rate A revenue, but five bowling leagues and very few other nonprofits. Yeah. What I th- so I think what we, we need to do is find out more about what's actually happening. And we know that there are more nonprofits in this county decades earlier but as we see the consolidation happening in the for-profit uh, sector, where um, the larger stores disrupted that, that were built on, in a community disrupted what Main Street, uh, what was happening on Main Street in these communities. Similarly, as we look to the bigger cities or towns in rural America, and we outsource those services that disrupts the makeup and what i think what the lily school talks about i know and and that the importance of the third sector and the intangibles that come along with that the value that it exi- that it, that uh, the third sector provides in our society so i think there's uh, the, i think there are big hurdles when 90% of nonprofits in south dakota have a budget less than a million dollars. And many of those nonprofits are across, are in some of these rural places and they are being leaned on to do more. And we we need to know more about where the funding's coming from and what is happening to, if, and what actual nonprofits are in these counties. An example in Western South Dakota, where Meals on Wheels is consolidating so these hubs that exist in uh, western South Dakota up and down the Black Hills is uh, they're they're coming together. They're still providing uh, services, but it's becoming more and more difficult to do that with volunteers. And so they have to find new paths to get the food out. The mail meal programs are really popular, where you can drop off uh, where through the mail or you're dropping off multiple meals during a week. But I think what we're interested in is the other, the the piece that when you don't go and drop food off every day or every couple of days, you miss that social engagement as well. Um, And and without the number of volunteers, as we know, volunteering has an impact on giving. And so if we have fewer volunteers that are able to do this work, then we know that research would tell us that we'll have fewer larger gifts um, and estate gifts.
0: When you talk about that consolidation, then that has all sorts of implications. Uh, for example, if we've now become a regional nonprofit, do we have board members from throughout the region? Are we able to raise money from throughout the region or just from within the largest city? If I fundraise from throughout the region, it's not going to be unusual for the donor to say, is this money staying in my county or Absolutely. is it going to the bigger regional issue? So, Matt, this seems to raise a lot of implications for how those nonprofits are led and, and their fundraising strategies, right? Well, and then you have this geographical distance that you have to span. So if you're
1: going to have a board meeting, you're going to call, is everybody going to be in person all the time? So absolutely. And, and as you, as we see people leaving some of these communities, you have less people to draw upon. And, and it goes without saying your consolidation, if a boys club, boys and girls club, spans, um, had local affiliates and leadership in those uh, areas, those communities, and now all consolidated into one community, but having satellite operations. I think, again, the idea you're missing that leadership then in those other communities that were running those uh, organizations. And, and, I, and, we, and Because we have this void of what the data tells us, we want to. We we need to. We need to. Do that research, have these kind of conversations, and then probably look at how are we going to creatively reach out to not only find the funding, but the volunteers and the other resources that nonprofits that are so important to nonprofits.
0: And then the other question that is raised is, you know, if people have moved out of these rural areas to other locations. Uh, On one hand, we can say, Well, especially with social media, we can try to still stay in touch with those folks and see if they will donate back to where they used to live. But what we also know from the research is people tend to give locally. So, will they give to their new location if they say they move to a city like Minneapolis or Kansas City from the Dakotas or farther south to, to warmer climates later on in life? Or can they still be persuaded to donate to their local areas? That seems to be another. Uh, interesting question that now profits in rural communities are facing. Absolutely. And so to, it, it, it lends itself to
1: what the fundraising school teaches and trying to understand the motivations of the donors. And many times at this point, it seems, there's still real ties to the places that they may be moving from. And this, there's a, a, a growing generational uh, wealth um, transition happening, so there's a unique opportunity probably at this point in time to really build those re- philanthropic relationships to cultivate donor um, donors to your organizations, even if they've moved. And many times, what we've seen, and this is uh, we don't have the numbers on this, but many times it seems people who have moved away um, at, at, for with a second home return back to the place that they're moving from where they've maybe kept a small farmhouse or, or just kept some residence. And, but, but where they've moved to, there are people working on cultivating them there for the interests that they have in those new locations. So it leaves an opportunity uh, to, to engage um, even in these rural places with some of the donors that have moved to other locations still.
0: And some of your work, uh, to get a little bit more particular now, has been with an initiative called South Dakota Gives, right? And wh- what have you learned from that? What have you seen in terms of the fundraising that happens through that event?
1: Again, I would go back to the, the statement earlier that so many nonprofits in a state like South Dakota wear multiple hats, which is just phenomenal. And, they true, and there's truly this uh, ability to be elastic and so they reach many, many people in their communities. And uh, South Dakota Gives grew out of a, just an organic effort uh, and realization that as the rest of the country was focused on the Day of Giving and different Giving Days, South Dakota was missing that in its mm. state. So, facil- uh, building and managing that for the the state um, for the state effort has been wonderful to bring together hundreds of nonprofits doing work across the country or across the state and for exchanging of ideas amongst the nonprofit leaders and for people to have an opportunity and excuse to go out and engage their donors. Not only and we not only in the raising of dollars, but uh, reaching out and solic- and soliciting volunteer time and other ways of engagements. So that we can, so that those nonprofits can educate their donor base. They may not have been uh, educating them and engaging them in volunteer activities. And yes, ultimately, hopefully asking them for a gift, but that may not actually happen on the day of giving um, in South Dakota. It might happen later on, but that on the day of giving, it's been a day that brings people together to volunteer, do a walk, to have conversations. So I think. The way that many nonprofits in South Dakota have taken this is that we need more ways of bringing people together so that we can engage them uh, and ultimately uh, move our mission forward.
0: And Matt, I would just say too, hopefully uh, concluding here on a high note, that if you found a rural community with five bowling leagues that are incorporated as nonprofits, we can extrapolate from Robert Putnam's work that that shows a strong civil society and hopefully there's a lot to build upon, right?
1: Well, that will be really interesting to learn more about because I think that's obviously what he has written. Um, uh, It would be interesting to see how it it carries forward in the rural communities, but you would think
0: so. Absolutely. Dr. Matt Ellman is the co-founder and principal of the Numad Group, a national consulting firm on issues related to philanthropy and fundraising and a founding board member of the Rural Philanthropy Institute. If you're more interested in this subject, Again, look for the Rural Philanthropy Institute online uh, for all of their research and their ongoing research and their ongoing events uh, as they continue this conversation and this learning moving forward. And of course, at the Fundraising School, uh, we're so glad to bring you a wide range of fundraising strategies and techniques, urban, rural, suburban, um, United States, and around the world. Our public courses are available uh, in person in more and more U.S. cities in the continental U.S., and anywhere internationally, both asynchronous meeting recorded or virtual in a live format online. We have custom training that we can bring directly to you, to your community, your nonprofit, your association, as we can tailor make courses and coursework uh, for your nonprofit. We have four certificates that a lot of these courses lead to. We have our quarterly webinars. And of course, these free podcasts, all available online at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash The Fundraising School. I'm so grateful to our guests today, Dr. Matt Elman. Our producers today are Mike, Anthony, and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from The Fundraising School. Mm-hmm.